0: okay so welcome back everyone uh, to where you're going next travel podcast for travelers by travelers and today i have a super exciting guest um my first north american guest the lovely kathy uh so kathy tell us uh, who you are where everyone can find you on the internet
1: hi my name is kathy i'm from the united states from kansas city so right in the center of the us and I am a travel blogger and writer and you can find me on the internet at my website, which is called the girl who Thank
0: you. And yeah, you, there's, you've got a ton of great uh, blog posts on there. So everyone listening, please go <laughs> give a uh, Kathy's blog a read. There's a lot of really great content on there. Um, so yeah, definitely go check it out. Uh, cool. So Kathy, when um when did you start traveling? Is, is traveling something you've grown up with or is it something you only started to do as you kind of became an adult and got a bit older?
1: Yeah, uh, I would say it's kind of a combination of things. So I grew up taking great American road trips with my family every single summer. So that was kind of where I got introduced to the idea and the importance of traveling starting at a really young age. So I think by the time I had graduated from high school, so about age 18, I'd been to probably 47 out of the 50 U.S. states by car.
0: Wow! Never
1: (laughs) never had gotten on a plane at that point in my life. So that's definitely unique for somebody who's American, especially someone from the Midwest like I am. but when it comes to the international travel, which I kind of pivoted to as I became an adult, I, I had a boyfriend who was an exchange student from Germany when I was a senior in high school. So that kind of spurred my desire to start traveling internationally. I went to visit him uh, this the summer after I graduated from high school And from then on, as I was choosing my college, you know, my university, I wanted to continue traveling. So I made sure that I chose a school that had a strong study abroad program. So then my junior year of college, I studied for one term in London. And from then on, I just really got addicted to the lifestyle of living abroad and being able to pick up and travel and just live a different lifestyle than what I was used to. So that's kind of how I got started into it, and I haven't mentioned this yet, but I just returned back to the U.S. about two weeks ago from living in Spain for two years, so it's been a very constant and consistent part of my life ever since I was a kid.
0: I'm super impressed by everything you just said,
1: (laughs) honestly, (laughs)
0: that's so awesome, and I definitely want to talk about um, you living in Spain, we'll talk about that later on, because that's something I haven't, we haven't really uh that's kind of a subject we haven't really breached yet um on the podcast okay. but i cool. definitely want to talk to you about that um but i mean man traveling to pretty much every state before you're by the time you're 18 that's that's very impressive
1: <laughs> yeah and i actually got up to alaska with a friend a couple years ago of course we had to fly up there uh, but now I'm sitting at 49 states and everyone else in my family is at 48 and I'm a little competitive. So <laughs> Hawaii is in my future in the next few years.
0: Oh, nice. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, def- definitely. That's, that's incredible that you managed to do that. And I mean, I think especially people in the the UK and Europe, we kind of forget how big America is.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's I mean, massive. <laughs> yeah, I
0: mean, that's a lot of places and such different scenery and even like and different people as well as you move across yeah, the US. So. Absolutely,
1: I I love Europe, obviously, but I do really appreciate how diverse America is in geography and in you know its population depending on where you travel so I'm lucky since I live in the dead center it's easier for me to get from you know corner to corner I guess than if you live in one of those corners but yeah um, not a lot of people in the U.S. uh, are able to travel as much so I definitely feel fortunate for the experiences I've had.
0: Yeah definitely I mean I've I've met um, some people from from the U.S. who have you know barely ever left their own state. So
1: yeah, that's that's um, the case for a lot of you know friends that I've had, or you know people growing up. We took a we took a trip down to Florida with my marching band in high school. And, uh, by the time we got to the other side of the state, four hours away, people were leaving our state for the first time, or, you know, they saw the river and were asking if it was the ocean. So it it seems kind of funny, (laughs) but it also, it kind of just goes to show, you know, that the experience of the people around me has been different than what mine has been. So, uh, it just, yeah, makes me feel luckier for what I've been able to do
0: yeah i mean as i said i'm i'm in complete uh awe <laughs> of that yeah. uh, uh, that's just incredible i'm very jealous as well i, um, I definitely <laughs> want to do uh like a huge road trip absolutely should. At some yeah point. yeah definitely it's always been on my list um and i love that you studied in london as well where uh where in london did you study
1: So I studied at a uh, college called uh, Regents University, so it's right in Regents Park.
0: I know exactly what that is.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was like a fairy tale (laughs) semester of my life, and I never could have predicted how amazing that experience would be. The friends that I made that I'm still good friends with now, seven years later, and just like I said that lifestyle of you know choosing a country on the map and saying okay let's go there next weekend and then coming back to school on Monday you know tired but kind of in shock of just how you're able to live a completely different lifestyle even just for the weekend.
0: Yeah I mean I think talk to me about the draw of that because I've met a lot of people not only from the U.S. but uh, from Canada and Australia as well who kind of do similar thing and they obviously the UK speaks English so it's so easy for you guys to kind of uh, assimilate into the culture in the UK And but then you can explore Europe at the weekend.
1: Yeah uh, uh, it was it was a great place to choose for my my study abroad experience. Um, I was drawn to it because they speak English obviously I, I was a Spanish major or Spanish focus in college, but at the time that I signed up for the, the study abroad program, I didn't really realize that I was going to continue with my Spanish language. So I was like, okay, London, you know, seems, you know, it's one of the, the capitals of the world basically. So, and I had never been, and I just thought it sounded like fun. So, you know, two and a half years later, it was finally time to go. And yeah, it was even better than I could have imagined. And I never knew that Europe had, you know, these super budget flights that make it easy, even on a student budget, to really enjoy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, we do. That is one of the great parts. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm guessing you probably went with airlines like EasyJet, Ryanair,
1: Oh, yeah, all of yeah. them
0: <laughs> um, they they're quite unique, I think a lot of yeah <laughs> a lot of, you know I mean, yeah. w- what was that like as an American because they are quite experienced some of them, especially right <laughs> there.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I don't really care what the experience on the plane is like. I mean, it's only gonna last like an hour anyway, so you know, I don't care if I'm packed like sardines in there. <laughs> I'm just excited to be going somewhere. Actually, I think the cheapest flight I ever took was a couple of years ago when I first got to Spain. I wanted to just take a weekend trip. So I think I found a flight on Ryanair that was 12 euros from Madrid to Brussels one way. And, wow. <laughs> yeah, even to fly from Kansas City to Chicago, which is, I don't know, a six-hour drive. That would cost at least a hundred dollars one way in the us so just you know being able to pick up and being a different country hours later for such a cheap price like i don't care if i have to stand on the plane you know
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you be
1: yeah. to save the money
0: i'm with you i'm with you 100 uh I don't, i'm with you i wouldn't mind standing uh yeah. I went to Copenhagen and back for twenty pounds. Wow! <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so, amazing. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I don't care as long as I can get there. Um, yeah. So uh, I mean, following on from that, it sounds like you're you're definitely kind of a budget traveler. You yeah. like to get yeah. Um, so have you stayed in a lot of hostels in Europe as well?
1: Yeah, I have. I have some pretty, you know, everyone has a couple of funny hostel stories, you know, if you've stayed in enough hostels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've, I have noticed that as I've gotten a little older, you know, I'm 27 now, so I my tolerance for hostels isn't quite what it used to be. Also, because I have more money now, so I'm like, do I really have to, you know, stay in a 20-person dorm just to stay five euros? Um But yeah, no, I'm still doing the hostels when I travel solo, especially if I if I'm with a couple of friends, we might just, you know, do an Airbnb because if you split it, it's cheap enough. But yeah, I've been doing the hostels when I've traveled solo throughout Europe the past few years when I was in London, also when I took a trip to Asia about two years ago what I really liked about the Asian hostels is they have the little curtain that you pull across your bed, which blocks out the light and gives you a little more privacy. So anytime I've seen that recreated in Europe anywhere, I get super excited.
0: I love that. I think that's a, I think that's a great balance, solo travel and hostels. And then, as you said, getting an Airbnb if you're going with friends. I think, yeah, for, in my opinion, that's kind of the ultimate balance. Because uh, when you're solo traveling, hostels is just the way to go, really.
1: Yeah, it's uh, and that's how you meet people, and you know, you don't have to be social if you don't want to, but you're saving money, and you have the option, and the opportunity is there. Though I do... S- Kind of avoid the the ones that have the reviews as party hostels now because <laughs> yeah i don't know maybe if i was 20 again but
0: <laughs> now i'm 27
1: imagine. i need my sleep
0: <laughs> i can imagine i can imagine um and i like what you, you were saying about the little curtain i actually uh, stayed in a hostel in paris that had one of those really yeah. yeah
1: i love those and now i always am kind of crossing my fingers that i'm gonna have that i think the last one i went to that had it was in saint petersburg uh, a couple years ago. But I mean, I guess Russia is like halfway Asia, even though it's definitely on the European <laughs> side.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll allow that one. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, that's uh, come on. What's your weirdest hostile story?
1: Uh, well, I definitely have plenty to choose from, but one that kind of comes to mind is when I was studying in London a group of about i think 10 of us took a a long weekend trip to prague and we had a room with 10 beds in it and we all kind of took different flights depending on when we got out of class that thursday because we were going from a thursday night to a sunday and so me and two friends came i think we were the last ones we got in super late the power had also gone out at the airport so it was all kind of just a crazy situation and we got to the hostel and the hostel was like super confused and like they had put one random person in the hostel room that was supposed to be all of ours, so then me and my best friend had to end up going to a different random room, and it was late, and the other other people were asleep. We were trying to be as quiet as we could, like unpacking everything, but um, one of the other girls in the room ended up getting pretty annoyed, and I don't know how I found her on social media later because she ended up being in our tour group, but she had actually written a blog post about her experience in that hostel. And she called out me and my friend for like having been being loud when we came in <laughs> and like eating Pringles and like chatting and stuff. And it was so funny because like, I'm a blogger. And so to hear that somebody else had blogged about me, yeah, <laughs> it was like really funny to think about, you know, cause you know, we're all our own main character in our own story but in hers I was you know the supporting character cast eating chips in the middle of the night that was super annoying so
0: (laughs) I love that I love that that's a great story (laughs) yeah yeah that's um it's yeah I mean I've met some Americans in hostels before and 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 they asked me oh um do you think we're really loud i was like no i don't think you're loud even if you were like i like i like loud and vibrant people so i was like i don't mind
1: (laughs) yeah we're loud but we're usually pretty friendly which you know balances out, and also goes hand in hand
0: definitely there's some lovely americans uh in hostels in europe definitely you guys are lovely people (laughs) um cool so Next, so, I mean, we kind of touched on areas of this, but I, I, I want to talk about how you kind of plan trips. Obviously, that was different when you were living in Europe. So <laughs> if you could tell us about that and then tell us about kind of how you would plan a trip from the U.S.
1: Yeah, well. um, so so I actually, I love planning trips. Obviously, when I was in Europe, you know, it takes a lot less work and it's a lot less intensive because you can, like I said, just pick somewhere on the map, book a flight and then you're good but whenever I've planned larger trips from the US, especially when I've been traveling alone. So I took my first solo trip to Spain in 2016, and then I went to Asia alone in 2017. But I usually like to sit down somewhere where I'm not gonna be distracted. I love going to coffee shops, so being in quarantine has been hard for me in multiple ways. But um, I usually go to like my favorite coffee shop, I order something, I sit down, I spread out, you know, books. I've talked to my blog about why I like using books to kind of get a kind of an elementary plan together because when you're on the internet, there's just such a wealth of infinite resources. It can really be hard to narrow down what you need to, what you should see, what you want to see. It's like no matter whose reviews you read, you're going to find different opinions. So what I like about books as a starting point, at least, is that the author has made a conscious decision to only include this you know, finite amount of information. And seeing everything kind of on equal footing in a book, you get to decide for yourself what what is the value in these experiences that you want to see. So then that kind of helps me settle on you know, a few places or cities or side trips that I'm really interested in, and then once I have those narrowed down, I will move to the internet to kind of get more detail about those trips, but I usually go somewhere, you know, I have my books, and then I kind of just like start making a calendar, so I say, okay, well, what do flights look like if I fly into, you know, Madrid on this day, and then spend two days there, and then, you know, from there, what if I take the train to Sevilla or I fly to Barcelona? I kind of just start playing around with a a calendar that I just make in Excel. It's just, you know, blocks with the numbers of the days, but I try to think how many days do I need in each place? Then once I kind of have that figured out, I book the transportation, I book the the Airbnbs or the hostels, and then from there, unless there's something really big that I want to do, like tour the Sagrada Familia in Barcelona, I really don't book anything else i kind of just show up wherever i'm going with you know transportation booked and lodging booked and from there i pretty much just play it by ear because you know sometimes you meet people in the hostels that are doing something that you never even considered or your your plans change and and that's one of the great things about traveling alone is you have that flexibility and you don't have to check with anyone else if it's okay but that's kind of how i approach it so I definitely start with books and then I really just choose transportation and lodging and I don't worry too much about the details unless there's something big that you know I think might sell out that I want to do.
0: I really like that, uh, that answer. Uh, interesting you mentioned books. I think that's a good. Uh, I hear what you're saying it kind of in the internet there's so much noise uh, it can be a bit overwhelming at first yeah Uh, it really
1: is so you know i like i like rick steve's europe books i like lonely planet you know they have sections and they kind of you know they include the most salient points and then it's up to you to decide what you want to investigate further
0: exactly exactly um and I love that you you don't plan too much. You kind of like to see where things go. I think that's yeah. really important <laughs> in solar travel. Because as you're saying, like you can meet people in the hostel and they're like, Oh, we're going here and then there you go, you some new friends.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I've made some really great friends that way. Um, yeah, in in Thailand I met a guy from from England, also named Will, <laughs> who <laughs> told me about this uh this elephant excursion thing. You know, we talked on the train. Uh, about, you know, the ethics of element or elephant engagements and things like that, but he was doing like an ethical one and so then I kind of like investigated that and now that's like one of my coolest memories from what I did in Thailand so and I actually ended up changing my flights around then too because I wanted to do that but I hadn't planned enough time in Chiang Mai. So I was like, okay, it's just me. I'll change my flight. I'll cancel my train, like no big deal. So yeah, I try to stay pretty open because you just never know what you're going to run into.
0: Yeah, I I love that you uh, changed your plans to stay longer. And for that, that brings me back to you were saying, um, you you kind of think about how many days you need in each place. So what's the kind of time you like to give yourself? Say you're like city hopping. How many days would you give yourself in each city?
1: Well, obviously, it depends a little bit on the city, but I usually try to read a few reviews online. You know, I just Google how many days do I need in Stockholm or whatever. And so if I start to see the general consensus is like three to four, you know, depending on where else I'm trying to go on that trip, you know, I might aim for three. But actually, one of the trips that I had to cancel, which was in supposed to be in April, was for some of the Nordic uh, countries. So Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, and Finland. I was going to go to all of their capital cities. And I read that, you know, like, uh, Vilnius and Riga are small, so you need maybe only two days there. But, you know, I like to see things not at record speed pace. I like to take my time. I like having a a coffee in a cafe and just kind of people watching, sitting in the square, just enjoying life not really living as a tourist but you know trying to live a more relaxed pace and just see what daily life is really like
0: yeah that's a really good uh idea actually i've never thought of that just googling how many days do i need and whatever place that's <laughs> yeah that's,
1: it's so basic but it works mostly oh no,
0: yeah it's a brilliant idea i think that's really i think hopefully <laughs> someone listening to this is like oh yeah why haven't i done that i think that's really providing some great value so thanks thanks for that uh that yeah idea. Uh, i'm gonna definitely gonna try that out <laughs> going forward and i love that you were saying about coffee i'm the same i love a coffee shop i love to just sit and people watch as well Yeah, Uh, especially the city that I've never been to before. It's just, oh, yeah, I totally relate to that. Yeah, you can learn learn so much just from
1: people.
0: Exactly. And it's just so relaxing. And yeah, it's it's a good way to start the day as well, if you're kind of figuring out what you want to Um. do that day.
1: Yeah, since I don't plan very far in advance, you know, I spend a lot of time in the evening when I'm back in the hostel, like, okay, can we get some sort of plan together for tomorrow, just the general idea of things to see or, you know, a neighborhood to explore. And sometimes if I'm too tired, because, you know, walking like 10 miles a day, sometimes you're super tired at night, but yeah, in the morning, it's also nice And another thing that I do, which I actually started this, you did not ask about this, but (laughs) it reminded me, um, another thing I do that I started when I was traveling solo, because I felt a little bit weird about like being at restaurants or something alone and not having, you know, friends or family to share my meal with is I bring a journal. So, oh God, sorry. I think someone just rang the doorbell. Uh, That's Um, okay. (laughs) (laughs) One of my roommates will get it. Um, so uh yeah so I bring a journal and I I write you know what I'm thinking what I'm feeling what I'm doing so that's another thing that I like to do in the mornings Uh is just go to a, a cafe or while I'm eating breakfast is just do a little bit of journaling and now those are like really amazing to go back and look at you know years later
0: that's a, that's a really good idea as well actually um yeah as you said it can be a little bit awkward and nerve-wracking to go out and eat on your own especially in a place you've never been to but I love yeah yeah, I love the idea of just sitting and having some time to reflect on your thoughts and feelings I think that's a great idea
1: yeah
0: uh yeah no uh providing so many great uh (laughs) so many great (laughs) tips here I I love this it seems like you've got you're definitely a certified expert in solo traveling I think
1: yeah I've had my blog for About three and a half years now, so I think I have like 110 or 120 posts, which is also interesting to look back on that and see the different seasons of my life where travel has been more or less a part of my life. But um, I still usually keep finding things to write about.
0: Yeah, and and that's it's so great that that you, you can kind of really find yourself traveling. In fact that brings me on to my my next question. Um, <laughs> how how has travel changed your life?
1: Uh well I feel like if I meet somebody for the first time, like within the first couple of sentences, I have to bring up something about travel because I feel like that's what I'm what I live for right now, which is I think is a great thing. You know, I'm in my twenties. I've had, you know, almost a decade of really intense travel experiences and at this point it feels really hard to separate that from who I am as a person. Even even the years after I graduated from school, before I moved to Spain, I worked for three years uh, in a corporate job as a traveling technology consultant for a large company in kansas city and so i was on the road every single week for almost three years to a different city in the us Um, so even when i wasn't traveling internationally like i would have liked to i was still on the road almost 100 percent of the time living out of a suitcase and there are things that traveling in that way taught me that are different than you know being a backpacker through europe but really, there hasn't been any time in my life over the past seven years where I haven't been traveling. So right now, obviously, being unable to travel is, it's it's very strange for me because I'm not used to it at all.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it's who you are, isn't it? I totally relate to that. Like, it,
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Like being someone who explores and travels and pushes themselves, Um
1: and I'm like what are my other hobbies? I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> I mean, I was trying to figure it out over the past few months.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's I the time.
1: <laughs> Actually writing obviously is one of my other passions and it's what I do for work now is writing. So, as long as I feel like I can keep up with my blog, then I'm writing and, you know, reliving the best travel memories that I have or, you know, sharing travel tips and experiences. So, for now that's what's keeping me going even when I can't physically travel
0: yeah I mean it's it's definitely been tough um I mean this is something I've I felt as well because as, as I said it's, it's, who, it's who I am it's who you are and not being able to do the things that make you who you are is really difficult to deal with um is that yeah. something you've really been feeling as well
1: yeah like I don't know I usually I'm used to having something to look forward to um if I'm not currently traveling and actually my boyfriend and I had been planning so you know back in April May we weren't really sure how the whole coronavirus thing was going to go but we decided that well I was planning to go back to Spain for longer on a different visa but since the embassies and the consulates and everything are closed that's kind of just a mess right now so I'm kind of deferring that plan for a little while but my boyfriend and I decided that we were going to move somewhere abroad from October to Christmas, just, you know, for fun. We can both work remotely. Uh, We were just like, why not? Let's just explore. So we actually have flights booked to go to Quito, Ecuador on October 1st. But, you know, as of now, it's hard to say whether we're actually going to get to go. So that's also a whole entire different feeling being in limbo, having something booked, but not knowing whether you're going to have to cancel it, which, isn't very much fun but yeah that's what I have to look forward to right now and who knows if that's actually going to pan out.
0: Yeah a, a lot of people I think are in the same boat you know you're just praying that things get better and that uh, <sighs> they can yeah, actually make their plans happen. Um, and I love the the idea of working remotely in Ecuador for a few months uh, and that, that yeah, now is definitely I mean- the time with all this remote working emerging.
1: Yeah. Well, luckily I've been kind of working remotely previous to this, um, as a freelance writer. So that's definitely what I envision for the rest of my future. You know, I can't ever see myself wanting to report to an office again. Um, especially if, you know, I can, if, If it's safe, I would love to try out the true digital nomad lifestyle for a little while. So this was going to kind of be our first foray into that just to see how it goes. But even if we aren't able to do it, it's definitely not something I'm planning on just, you know, giving up on. It was just maybe something that we'll have to wait a little while to get started on, which waiting is hard, but it's not the end of the world
0: yeah and some things are definitely worth the wait and that sounds like it would definitely be worth the wait
1: (laughs) yeah I hope so
0: um and and talking about living in other countries tell us tell us what it's like uh what it was like being an expat living in in Spain for two years like your experiences with that
1: yeah um well it was one of the best things I've ever done I always say that my semester in London was the best thing I ever did And I spent the next several years trying to find a way to replicate that experience in some way. So that's how I ended up in Spain. As I mentioned, I studied Spanish throughout all of university and I had never been to Spain. And so that's why I decided to plan that first solo trip to Spain um, in 2016. And I loved it so much because I had learned so much about it in school and I was having a blast trying to use the Spanish that I had learned in school and communicating with people and learning that even if my Spanish wasn't perfect, you know, it was good enough to get by. And luckily, uh, Spain doesn't have a great level of English, which is why it was possible for me to live there the past two years through a language assistance program. Which is actually pretty popular with not only North Americans but also British and Irish and some Australian uh English speakers so uh, I was in Spain living in Madrid for two years. I worked at a an, at an elementary school, pretty actually far from Madrid. It was about an hour and forty five minutes by bus, which I did have to take every day <laughs> round mm-hmm. trip. Long. <laughs> uh, it was long. Luckily, the first year there was a teacher who lived in Madrid and I would carpool with her, which was also great because I was able to, you know, have a couple hours in the car each day to practice Spanish because she knew no English. Um, but I loved the school. It was very rural. It was up in a very, very small town with um, a lot of immigrants, a lot of really sweet kids. So my role was basically to Be a special English speaking friend to the kids. You know, I wasn't the main teacher. They had a teacher in each classroom that was fluent in English and would speak only English to the kids. And the kids were encouraged to only speak English during those lessons. And then I was there to kind of be an extra motivator. So if they would come up to me and say, Puedo ir al baño? Like, can I go to the bathroom? But I know they can say it in English. I would say, what? I didn't understand you. Can you try that in English? And then they would say, can I go to the toilet, please? I'd say, oh, yes, now I understand. Of course you can. So uh, the kids were sweet and I loved it. So I decided to stay for two years. And even though, you know, the commute was long, actually, I didn't spend very much time at work. I only had to work 16 hours a week, which meant that I always had Friday, Saturday and Sunday off And my school was really flexible with me. If I wanted to take a trip or if I had friends visiting, I would say, hey, is it okay if I take Thursday off and I work the following Friday instead? They always said, no problem. So I had a lot of friends come visit me from the US. Um, I traveled a lot within Europe. Uh, I visited friends and family friends that we had in Europe. So it was, I mean, it was amazing. It was a really nice place to live, even in Madrid, the level of English, if you're not in the dead center, like Puerto del Sol, the level of English wasn't very high. So even in my smaller neighborhood, I got the experience of, you know, just going to the supermarket or to the bank or to the cafe and just having to really feel like I was immersed and always learning. So it was, it was great. I love Spain. I mean, the bureaucracy of being a, an immigrant from America was not easy. Definitely my, my EU friends had it easier when it came to the legal stuff, but somehow all of that did not outweigh just the great experience that it was. So I'm already missing it a lot.
0: That sounds amazing. And um, talking about the language, obviously mm-hmm. you said you spoke Spanish before. I, I mean, how did that kind of, do you think the that really helped you with the culture shock? Cause so I'm guessing I've never been to Kansas, Kansas city, but um, I'm imagining it's very different to Madrid. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's very different. I didn't feel um, a ton of culture shock. I think just because I have traveled so extensively before that I knew a little bit about what to expect. Um, I know a lot about Spanish history and culture based based on my classes that I had taken. So it wasn't too entirely surprising. I would say that the main things that were surprising to me were just the hours. Like I had roommates and they would eat dinner at 10 or 10.30 p.m. Whereas, you know, that's super late in my opinion. And, you know, people don't wake up and go to work at 8 a.m. like we do here. You know, it's more like 10 or 11 a.m. And they have the siesta in the afternoon and you eat lunch at 2 or 3 o'clock instead of noon like we're used to. But it's funny because it's just a matter of perspective because whenever I talk to people from Spain, they were totally shocked to hear that, you know, we wake up at six in the morning. So uh, yeah, it's just, it's just funny. And I loved the culture of, well, it seemed like they had, I mean, they had way more holidays than we have here, but overall the culture of not, you know, just living just to work is a lot stronger because in the U.S., you know, we have like the, the stereotype of everyone's just like stuck in the the nine to five grind every day like work 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 and no time for yourself but in Spain that's not the case and that's very attractive to me
0: yeah I I always the the fact that they did it so late has always been a problem for me when I go over there <laughs> so my my dad actually lives in Spain so I've spent oh lot of really? time in Spain. yeah he lives wow. uh, in the south um um, well
1: that's where all the the British expats yeah,
0: go d- <laughs> there's a lot of I, them. Did not, yeah. I
1: did not know about that but I learned
0: <laughs> yeah there's a lot of them there um but it, it, it's, it is such a more laid-back lifestyle in Spain which I really I do like um it is a lot more relaxing I think to live there um but I, I get really hungry at like <laughs> Six seven p m so it went yeah, out of ten thirty. I
1: was never eating on the Spanish schedule, really, yeah,
0: that was, a, that worked was because a...
1: then I could make my food like when I was hungry, and then the kitchen would be free for them to cook later while I was already in bed.
0: that's true, that's true. There's <laughs> <laughs> always a perk um, and we, you were talking about you knew a lot about. Spanish history and culture before you go. Is that something you'd really recommend to anyone before they move to other club too? Is just spend the time yeah. learning as much as they can about that. Yeah. History? I yeah. think it
1: I think it provides a lot of context to how the society and culture is now, especially when such important events in their history are still so somewhat recent. So for example, a lot of, you know, how Spain has developed over the past 40 years or so since about 1975 with the, the death of the dictator Francisco Franco, um, I mean that history where he assumed power went all the way back to 1939 and they had the civil war in the three years preceding that but that was less than 100 years ago and so you know the relatives of people that fought in their civil war and you know the elderly people who lived through nearly 40 years of that dictatorship, they're still alive. And you kind of have to remember that whenever you look at how the country's uh, like socioeconomic and like political like leanings and decisions that are being made, like you kind of, I mean, especially if you're going to live somewhere, you know, maybe if you're just visiting, it's not as important, but if you're going to try to assimilate and become part of a society, it definitely helps to have context on, you know, what the national conversations are and how they came to the place where they are now.
0: Exactly and it's interesting what you're saying about the yeah, the impact of Franco in Spain. I think as you know I've been to Spain a lot and I I think you can really see the impact that that whole period has. It's really shaped uh kind of modern day Spanish culture and Yeah,
1: um, yeah. And, and even even I think it was in October so I had just come back for my second year um you know almost a year ago they were finally like making the decision to exhume Franco's body from where it had been in the Valle de los Caídos ever since he had died to um, like a a family cemetery uh, outside of Madrid. But you know, that was dominating the news and everybody had an opinion on it. And like, you know, me and my friends, we knew, like, as non-Spanish people, not to really talk about it with, Mm-mm. you know, Spanish people because you don't want to step on anyone's toes or like get anyone too riled up about it if they don't want to be. But yeah, it's interesting, and if you didn't have any context on that, you wouldn't understand why that was a controversial topic.
0: Exactly. So, as you say, I think it's really important to to learn uh, as much about the history and culture as you can. Not only before, but while you're there, with stuff like walking tours and
1: yeah, uh, that kind of yeah, thing. yeah, you can always keep learning more.
0: Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I've, we've spoken on this podcast before about trying to be super respectful. Um, mm-hmm. So, like you were just saying, where you you know, not to kind of to kind of. Uh, put your two cents in on that topic when uh, other spanish people involved because you know it's kind of a very controversial thing Uh, yeah
1: and that that's like a a, an emotional topic for them that i don't have the same emotional connection to so it's not really my place to have an opinion on that but just listen
0: exactly and uh, i love that you you know you, you recognize that and and um i mean this is a problem with uh kind of british travelers some there's a lot of british travelers who aren't respectful to that not just that that kind of with the history but you know they don't even make the effort to learn like hello Mm. or thank you in the language of the country that they're they're going to um yeah you know it's just it's just trying to be as respectful and try and make the effort um yeah
1: like you don't have to be fluent exactly a little bit of effort to just show that you care enough and that you know you're you're grateful to that country that you're allowed to be welcomed as a tourist. Yeah. I think it goes a long way. I don't, I agree. I don't like the presumptive attitudes of a lot of travelers and including some Americans where, you know, you feel like everybody should do things the way that you like them or, you know, just pay attention to you where you're actually a guest in someone else's country. So you should be treating them with respect
0: exactly exactly couldn't have said it better myself um and I think the more you travel the kind of it equips you to be more respectful in a lot of aspects of your life and break down prejudice and stereotypes Um,
1: yeah and and you learn so much too like from one place to another you may not have realized that you know something something that you learned in one place could have also been applicable somewhere else but you just had no idea at the time so like the further you go, like just the more opportunities you have to keep learning.
0: Exactly. I couldn't hundred percent agree. Um, I mean, switching it up a bit here. Uh, you just have sound like you have such a wealth of experience and, and great tips that you've already um, already laid out while we've been chatting. Uh, so I'd really like uh, to hear what you'd say to someone who's just starting out with travel. What kind of advice would you give someone who's setting out on their first trip?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I actually feel like I spent, or have spent, quite a bit of time trying to convince friends of mine or colleagues to to start traveling because I remember when I when I went to Thailand alone, which you know a lot of people thought was a little bit crazy. And like, yeah, I didn't tell my parents until a few months after I booked the tickets, but um, I was t- I was talking about it at work in the U.S. here. And this one girl was like, wow, my parents would never let me go to Thailand alone. I'm like, okay, well, we're, you know, 25 years old and you're going to let your parents stop you. But um, I don't know. A lot of people, I think a lot of people are just, I don't know. They think that they wouldn't be comfortable alone when traveling. So I think that that could be fair for a lot of people. But I also think that it's something that you should at least try once just to see how it goes because you might find that you're that you're more comfortable than you thought and is also a really great opportunity to make friends because I feel like I have friends all over the world now that I stay in touch with that I met because I was alone and when you're with a friend already you don't feel the need to reach out and connect with other people in the same way because you already have that social uh connection but um So for somebody who was going to start traveling, I would say keep an open mind about traveling solo because you might actually like it. Um, I I recommend getting a nice, sturdy travel backpack. This is one of the tips that I talk about on my blog, is that the first couple times I traveled, I would pack a huge suitcase, you know, 23 kilograms, exactly, like, filled to the brim, but that's not, that's not going to help you be very like mobile. So I have a really nice sturdy 14 liter hiking backpack that I use and I've brought that on, you know, two and a half week trips. And it's really great because the more modes of transportation you use, whether that's planes or trains or buses, it's really easy to carry. Uh, You don't have to wheel it down the cobblestone streets and it's you know it's clacking and it's bringing attention to you and you're just you know trying to blend in. I think that's happened to everybody. Um, so you know do and then I would just also say do your research, but also don't expect everything to go perfectly because every seasoned traveler has more than their fair share of stories where things did not go perfectly. So you just have to expect it and know that that's kind of part of the game that you play. And even though it may not be very much fun at the time, it always makes a good story and you always learn something from it. So, I guess the biggest advice that I would give is uh, get a really good backpack. Don't be afraid of going alone. And, you know, you don't have to be a professional traveler to travel. You just have to decide that you want to do it. And also, for some people who feel that, you know, they don't have the money to travel, I would say it is possible to do it in a cheap way. You just have to prioritize that—that's where you, you know, want to spend your money. And it's really just about making the decision to do it. So, uh, once yeah, the virus is over, I think everybody should just get going.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think you really just gotta take the plunge. Um, but it can—it can be really apprehensive and kind of uh you, you know you can be really anxious about it and, and I, I was before my first trip I just I just kind of went for it and each trip that I did gave me more confidence for the next one so I mean yeah, my, absolutely. my first solo trip was to it was only to Dublin uh and as someone who lives in London you know it's not it's not that <laughs> far um but I really quickly went from that to going to Morocco on my own you know yeah. um so that's
1: just, true it's the confidence, confidence builds so much over time
0: exactly um but you re- you just got to kind of do it it's it's just something it's hard to for some people to kind of get that but sometimes you just got to just go you just got to yeah go the initial
1: it. the initial going is what's the hardest part and you know I remember when I took my my first solo trip to Spain I was like oh my god like what am I doing am I gonna have fun I've never traveled alone before like I've never been to Spain before and it was, it was a great time. And I was, that's what gave me the confidence to say, okay, I'm ready to tackle another continent, you know, next time. So that was when I went to Asia, but yeah, you're totally right. There's always like the moments of, can I do this? And I remember thinking the same thing before I went to London, I was like, what am I doing? Should I just pull out? Should I just go back to my normal school instead of going abroad for, you know, five months, but I went and then that changed the course of my life. And then I even felt the same way before I went to Spain. What am I doing? But I was like, okay, he went to London and that was the best thing ever. So it was just gonna be similar, you know, you can do it. And I did obviously, and it was fine, but yeah, absolutely. The confidence increasing is a huge part of it. And I think that's why so many people get bit by the travel bug after they first go because my parents had never been out of the U.S. really until last summer when they came to visit me and they had seen me traveling for all these years and it just had never been something that they really had imagined for themselves, but they came to see me and I told my mom, like once you start going abroad, you're going to, you're going to want to keep going abroad. And so she did come back to visit me again in uh, February of this year. So I think it's true. Like once you, once you start, you can't stop.
0: Definitely, definitely. And as you were just saying, that what am I doing moment, I've had so many of those. I remember being stood (laughs) in the middle of the street at like 10 p.m. at night in Marrakesh on my own. There wasn't a single person who spoke English around me. Uh I was just like, what am I doing? (laughs) How am am I ended up here? Yeah, but as soon as you get over that moment, it's honestly some of the best memories.
1: I kind of love those moments. Like, it feels so surreal. I feel like I'm in a movie or something.
0: Yeah, I mean, like... (laughs) I feel most alive in that moment.
1: Yeah, I same.
0: Like. I can't believe I'm actually stood here.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, yeah, no, totally relate. Um, honestly, I've had that moment so many times. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. So now I want to get into, obviously, you mentioned it uh, before, coronavirus, COVID-19. It's dominating everything right now. It's unavoidable mm-hmm. to talk about. What are your your first thoughts and feelings when you're thinking of travel? Well,
1: obviously, as an American, I'm not feeling great about things. Mm. um, (laughs) It's a complete and utter disaster beyond the scale of what I even imagined. Um, Because I had been in Spain ever since it hit, and it had been very different there, obviously. We spent... I want to say about seven weeks in complete lockdown, like not able to leave the house at all except go to the grocery store. And that was it. And I was struggling with that because I was, you know, alone basically. And then I had all my friends and family that I talked to back here that didn't know that it was going to be such a big deal because it hadn't hit America yet. And also there weren't any strict measures like that here. So to them, life was, still going on more or less the same but for me my life was changed because you know school was canceled and then I just had to sit in my apartment day after day so it was nice when we finally were able to start taking walks in May and then whenever in June we were able to like start going to outdoor cafes and all that but it was hard leaving Spain knowing that they had done so much to kind of get it under control and really acclimate to a new normal that didn't feel like that much of an impediment to normal life other than wearing the masks but here is just it's just totally uncontrolled it is different because i live in a city that isn't heavy on public transportation you know it's very spread out so you know we use our cars to go to the store and you know we don't see every every other person every other day. We just pretty much see the people we live with. But it's it's been hard because, you know, I haven't been going to the store. I did have to quarantine myself basically for 14 days after I got back. I was a little nervous about being on the plane, but it ended up being okay. And I did get the COVID test about four days after I got back just because I was hoping to see my family, you know, sooner than 14 days. Which luckily came back negative, but it just feels, I don't know, it does not feel good to be in the US right now, especially when you've been in a place where it was handled better and then you have to come back to this. It feels like, you know, having gone back in time to early March or something.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I've, I've, my, as I said before, my dad lives in Spain and I've spoken to him a lot. And it sounds like they've done a really good job of getting it under control in Spain uh, with that yeah, really they strict really lockdown. Have. yeah Yeah, since then it seems like things have I know they've had a few spikes here and there but it seems like they've really closed in and um kind of stopped those as quickly as they can uh
1: yeah I wish I could have just stayed honestly I mean Mm. besides besides the heat and that's a whole other story but (laughs) um yeah I mean it was also wearing on me to not be you know with my friends and family during this time but so that's that's the positive of being back home,
0: but uh, yeah, I can imagine. I Can imagine that was tough. Um, and yeah, I mean, I mean, I think the U.S. and the U.K. are kind of the two worst <laughs> countries of dealing with this. So um, it is it is kind of just yeah very worrying um, times, uh, and and I can, it must must have been so frustr- frustrating for you to then to go back from how well Spain have dealt with it so, as you say just complete disaster back home yeah
1: it really was it feels like you know the four months that I was cooped up in my apartment in Spain like were for nothing because now it's like everybody here just does what they want and again it's it's kind of uh, not the best like equivalency to make just because you know I'm not in New York or something where you know the the population density and lifestyle is more similar to Madrid where I was but yeah I don't know it's it's hard to say what's going to happen or how long this is going to be going on um and I it's hard I try not to think about it too much or else I, I don't know I get a little bit upset but I wish that the U.S. could have handled it similarly to the way that Spain did
0: yeah and I can imagine and um tell us about your your experience flying when you were flying home what was yeah. that like
1: well, I actually, my latest blog post that went up a couple days ago covers it in detail too. So I recommend that anyone that's super interested go and read that too. But actually, it was a pretty good experience. I really didn't know a lot about what to expect, but the plane from Madrid to Dallas was nearly empty. I would say there was maybe only 40 people on the flight out of, you know, 200 something seats. And everyone had to wear masks everyone was complying with that thankfully and um i was most concerned actually about the layover because i had to fly from dallas to kansas city and interestingly the airport in madrid was like totally shut down my friend wasn't allowed to come in with me to help me take my bags to the desk um there was nearly nobody in the airport it was only people that were flying there was maybe only 30 to 40 flights for the entire day Every restaurant and shop was shut down. The only place you could get a snack was the vending machines. Whereas in Dallas, it was totally business as usual. Like every shop and restaurant was open, completely full schedule of flights, like so many people traveling, passing through the airport. But luckily, everyone in the airport in Dallas also really seemed to be wearing masks, which made me feel more confident. And then the flight back from Dallas to Kansas City was mostly full but everyone was wearing masks and it was a very short flight so yeah I wouldn't recommend people travel now still but if you have a situation where it's absolutely necessary kind of like mine was I think you'll probably hopefully be okay.
0: That's very reassuring to hear that um, <laughs> it's, it wasn't too bad for you it, that gives me hope.
1: <laughs> no it wasn't I felt like everyone was you know doing their best to make it as you know as the best it could be
0: that's good that's definitely good to hear because uh, i mean uh i've been on the tube in london uh oh really and there's there's uh, it's now mandatory to wear masks on the tube okay. but there's is some it still people too
1: crowded though
0: it's not been too bad actually uh, okay. i think that's the theme that i've kind of noticed is just transport in general, all kind of public transport it just seems to be a lot less busy right now
1: well, that's good. I kind yeah. of felt the same way in Madrid when I finally ventured back onto the metro. Like at first, they had little stickers on the seat, like saying, "Like don't sit here," like every yeah. other seat. But then, even once they removed those, people were just naturally not sitting there because everybody was trying to keep their own distance from everyone else. So it didn't feel too bad either.
0: Yeah, and I think um, in those big cities, everyone's just kind of cycling more. That seems to be a huge surge. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, of bike riding um but I mean the, the reason I brought it up is because I, although it is mandatory to wear masks on the cheap I have seen a few people they're wearing a mask but it's either not covering their whole face or oh
1: I know the nose is on poking their chin
0: out. yeah like yeah. did you see any of that on your flight back to the US
1: um not really I was actually in I don't know a premium economy seat sounds so luxurious and it kind of <laughs> was but it was because my flight was like two thousand dollars one way Um, yeah it was horrible but so I was kind of in my own little section with only a couple other people and everyone seemed to keep it on and I did take one walk around the plane to stretch my legs and it did seem like pretty much everyone kept their mask on when they weren't eating or drinking which was good but I feel like yeah on the on the metro or the tube I guess people feel like they can get away with it a little more but on the plane I do feel like everyone was really trying hard to be respectful and thoughtful of of everyone so i appreciated that
0: yeah that's definitely good to hear um that's yeah definitely reassuring yeah Um, and i mean obviously it's especially with this dire situation in the u.s i guess it's really just hard for you to predict yourself traveling anytime soon i mean it's it's a lot better here in europe now Yeah. Well,
1: the thing is that travel is not banned within the U S so, you know, you still see friends taking, you know, their trips to Florida or to the beach or wherever. And, you know, of course they're allowed to do that, but I guess the question is just because you can, doesn't mean you should. So I don't know. That's kind of the thing because obviously it's an easier decision if you know, there are no flights and you physically can't travel, but it gets to be like more of like an ethical or philosophical question where it's like, okay, well, it's technically allowed, but should I do it? So, you know, we have that Ecuador trip that we're thinking about. Like we have some friends' weddings that are out of state over the next few months where we're kind of just like wait and see what happens. But, you know, it's kind of a hard decision to make and just really no way to tell at this point how the situation's going to be by then.
0: Yeah. um, And just to kind of play devil's advocate here, (laughs) um, you were saying like, you know, you can, you can travel, but should you, but do Mm -hmm. you think if, you know, you're a healthy person and you do you follow all the guidelines, you wear a mask, you distance, you're super clean, you know, you always make sure that you're washing your hands and sanitizing where you are. Do you not think that some those kind of people should travel because uh, there's the massive impact that travel in businesses are having, and so many of them are going to go bankrupt and yeah, no, it's, a, it's a fair
1: question, and it's you know, yeah, it's something that my boyfriend and I have talked about um, as we look towards making our decisions. But yeah, the problem is that if you know, no matter if you do that, there's always the people that won't, and unfortunately, like with this disease. It's not about necessarily what you do, but it's about the decisions of others. And so even if you do everything perfectly, you know, it's almost guaranteed that there's somebody who isn't and that that can still affect you. And then you can still end up taking that somewhere else unintentionally, obviously. So, you know, it's not a perfect situation by any means. And it's just, there's just so many unknowns. So you really have to like think hard about every decision that you make right now, which is tough.
0: Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I definitely hear what you're saying, but I think you know this. There is kind of no end in sight, and I don't. Yeah, think so it's, it's
1: like you have to decide, you know, how can you live your life as normally as possible while minimizing the risk at the same time.
0: Exactly, and I think that's just what we're going to have to do going forward. To be honest, just yeah. try and be, uh, don't be the person who's making everything bad do everything right. you can to follow the guidelines but I think he's just got to kind of start getting on with things just as safely as possible because um, yeah, otherwise you might just be sat in your house for three years realistically
1: yeah that's that's a hard pill to swallow when you think about <laughs> that but yeah I'm hoping that you know in a couple of months by the time we really have to make some decisions about what's next that things i mean things can change very drastically very quickly so i'm hoping things are a little bit better and that we have more confidence to you know continue living life the way we want but still in a very careful way
0: yeah exactly and i like what you said that things can change very quickly i think that's that's something that's really kind of proven been proven to me that i've seen obviously i, I mean you know this because you're in spain you know in europe we went into lockdown kind of overnight in a lot of Mm -hmm. countries it was super Mm -hmm. quick and then although it was more gradual coming out of it you know it didn't it wasn't like okay it it wasn't like each phase was taking three months it was a few weeks right so things have been moving kind of changing quickly as you say so
1: well and over here you know the masks were for some reason a political issue rather than a common sense issue but
0: Mm. um Start starting to reach the UK as well.
1: Yeah, well, let's see. Actually, I did see a statistic the other day that said a higher percentage of the US citizens are wearing masks versus the UK, which was surprising to me. Mm. But uh, um, it seems like they're finally catching on here, and I know that like they can do a lot of good. So you know, maybe in a month we'll see some real improvements from that. So fingers crossed for the best.
0: Yeah, I think. I just, yeah, just—it's hard. It's just so difficult to understand why everything's being politicized right now. It's, yeah. just, it's just public safety. Come on, people. <laughs> it's basic out here. Uh, <laughs> I, know. Yeah. I know. I mean, that's the thing. That's why I sort of keep reminding a lot of my friends when we're talking about, you know, what's going on, and even with, you know, when can we travel next, and when people can open borders. It's, it's all political now. Yeah. I, It's not just about because the people at the top, although, you know, they're consulting scientists, they're not scientists themselves. They're politicians and they're facing enormous economic and political pressures.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was surprised even with how well I thought that things were being handled in Spain that after about a month uh one of the far right parties vox started organizing protests in the streets about how you know the president or the prime minister or whoever had handled the whole situation. And I was surprised to see that because I knew there were protests happening in the U S the widely photographed ones of people with signs saying, I want a haircut, you know, screaming at doctors <laughs> <laughs> that were, you know, on the front lines. Uh-huh. But I was surprised to see the people in Spain also protesting. I mean, it wasn't a large group, but, um, yeah, I mean, obviously no matter what decisions are made, not a hundred percent of people are going to be happy
0: exactly exactly and in fact it was interesting um what you were saying um, because I, i'm pretty sure the spanish government had decided oh we're not going to let uh arrivals from the uk in because um obviously the cases in the uk have been very high and mm-hmm. the death rate's been very high and they went back on that decision very quickly <laughs> the, the prime minister had so much pressure from the tourist obviously the tourist industry in Spain as you'll know is a massive yeah. part of the economy and there's yeah. just too much political and economic pressure and they buckled and <laughs> folded yeah like a cheap I mean, and it,
1: it's a hard dis- it's a hard position to be in I mean yeah on one hand you have the economy and then the other hand you have you know health and safety and it's unfortunate that they're kind of I don't know at opposite ends right now and you know taking care of one doesn't necessarily do good things for the other. So I definitely can appreciate the conflict and I'm glad that I'm not the one making the decisions, but I guess it's just about finding the best balance that you can.
0: Exactly. Um, I just want to ask, uh, I know we spoke at the beginning about now that you're a bit older, um, that you're kind of less inclined (laughs) for the whole hostile experience a lot of Mm -hmm. the time. I mean, that must, you know, factoring in covid let's say things are better to the point where you think it's okay to travel again but you still got to be really quite cautious you know is that that's really good is that do you think you're really going to alter how you travel you know obviously staying in hostels less and
1: yeah actually that's a good transport
0: routes that kind of thing
1: yeah well that that's definitely something that we'll have to keep in mind over the next few years yeah i think that i mean just depending on how we bounce back from this. Hopefully we do. But yeah, I can definitely imagine that, you know, people might start opting more for, like, car services, you know, versus a long distance bus or something like that. Or yeah, you know, maybe choosing, even if you are still kind of on a hostel budget, maybe choosing a private room in the hostel versus, you know, the eight person dorm, or maybe, you know, the smallest dorm that you can afford. I think that that could be that could truly be an impact of this because right now it's hard to imagine, you know, how life will go back to normal or what the new version of normal will look like even once, you know, the COVID crisis has, you know, passed. I think we're probably all going to be a little more cognizant of our personal health and safety for at least a little while. So, yeah, I could definitely see myself opting for, you know, maybe less public facing options when it comes to lodging or transportation
0: yeah i think i I, I really hear what what you're saying um and as you're saying about you know we don't really we don't really know the. i think the world's going to be different i don't think potentially the world could never be the same um yeah
1: agreed i i mean it's gonna be hard to forget about this anytime soon so
0: exactly exactly and I mean, as we've been saying about how badly some governments have been dealing with this, I think a lot of that is going to come to light probably three to four months after things get a lot better. I think there's a lot more of this, which is Um, not really what I want to hear. um, Yeah,
1: well, I mean, we'll see how we'll see what America thinks in about four months on Election Day as well.
0: Yes. um, Yes. So wherever
1: I am, if I'm traveling, I gotta be sure <laughs> I can get my vote in on November fourth or whatever day it is. Yeah. Yeah, and it's also interesting to think, from an American perspective, you know, that if we have a change in uh, executive leadership, that you know there could be a whole new way of handling this. You know, come the end of January when you know a new president could be inaugurated.
0: Yeah, but that can that could definitely. That's something I haven't really thought about. I, mean, I hadn't
1: thought about it until, like, just this moment. But, yeah. <laughs> was, that's a really good
0: point, actually. It could completely. In fact, given how polarized... I don't want to get too political here, but given how polarized it is in US politics right now, it wouldn't yeah. surprise me if, if the Democrats won, there'd be a, just an entire pivot on the strategy.
1: Yeah, totally. And, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either.
0: Yeah, that could obviously... That might lead to a lot. That of could protests. change things
1: in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that would probably be quite good, <laughs> given how but, things um, are going at the moment. Uh, but, yeah,
1: agree. I mean, it can't really be worse. I yeah. say that, but I'm sure. Wait a week, and <laughs> um,
0: obviously, yeah, exactly. Um, but I think, I mean, I think that probably would be more protests uh, from certain groups. Um, <laughs> there always of, are. Yeah, um, but it would definitely be interesting yeah Uh, for, for that to develop and I mean I'm not really sure what con- other countries have got elections coming up um,
1: I don't know either but I feel like Spain literally has one like every three weeks so yeah, uh, well,
0: they, they never <laughs> seem to have anyone that wins like outright uh, from what I've, I can gather in Spain <laughs> yeah um, but, I mean that's probably something else you we've probably got to f- factor into travel like, that's the thing something I've just thought of uh, from that point you just made like if you're if you've planned a trip somewhere and then there's an election before you travel and the mm-hmm. new government comes in and goes, we're shutting the borders again.
1: Yeah.
0: And yeah, that's something that
1: Yeah, it's something that we haven't really had to worry about before. But actually, I had a friend who had been taking a trip around Europe and came to stay with me, like March twelfth or something. And literally that night, he like, had been planning to stay in Madrid for a couple of days, but that night Trump put out like the announcement that they were closing all the borders literally like the next day. And so my friend ended up getting on the computer and booking a new flight for like 12 hours later. Like he had just arrived to Madrid but he was like, I better get home before all this madness starts. So (laughs) I went with them to the airport the next morning and I was like, Wow, we should have gotten here earlier because it was like every study abroad student in Spain was like waiting to check in. Like the line was like wrapped around the airport. And I was like, Oh my god, you're gonna miss your flight. But luckily, like I was talking to a gate agent and they ended up opening a new line. So I was like, Nick, hurry up, come on, like get in this line. So he made it. But yeah, I remember because I was in the airport on the day that like that that announcement went out and it was crazy.
0: Yeah, that's quite a flyby trip. Yeah. for <laughs> yeah, so your friend there. Um but I mean that's just there's just so much to consider now. Uh I mean I'm I d I know it's it's probably different different for you because as I said before, with everything that's going on in the US and all the travel bans and border because mm-hmm. oh, no, I mean, I know Europe said, oh, can- Canadians, Australians, anyone from New Zealand, but America, no, no US arrivals at the moment. So, yeah. um, but here, like, obviously we can travel and it's just, just trying to understand a, which borders are open or do you have mm-hmm. to quarantine? Do you need to fill out a health form? And then what the yeah. regulations are in that country? Like, do you need to wear masks in, in shops? Um, yeah. It's just so much to kind of get your head around. Um, Is that something you've thought about when travel to and from the U.S. kind of comes back a bit more?
1: Yeah, I'll definitely have to consider that. Um, We've been keeping our eyes on kind of what the situation is in Ecuador. Um, And I think the last time we checked, it said that any arrivals were going to be subject to a mandatory 14-day quarantine in, like, a government facility, like, I guess, you know, the government would take over hotels just so that, like, you're not going to your own place and they can't really keep track of you, Mm. which if that stays the case, I probably would still be comfortable going because, you know, we're going to have to get tested, we're going to be quarantined, and if we're still going to be able to be there for so long, that that's not really, you know, cutting away from our vacation time necessarily. But, you know, everything is just changing every day. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, in two and a half months from now, things have changed a lot. So, yeah, we'll just have to keep an eye on, like, what's happening. And, I mean, you can't prepare for everything, but you can only do the best that you can.
0: Exactly, exactly. Um, I I just, I don't, uh, this is kind of a bit off on a tangent. (laughs) Yeah. I just don't really get why... The whole 14-day quarantine why is there not an option uh t- to just do a test like you said you did when you got back you know I think
1: because the tests right now they're not able to give very rapid results
0: oh, okay um
1: and also i think that like i didn't get tested the day i got back because by that point i don't think that i would have had a high enough viral load if i had been infected because it kind of takes a few days to like percolate in your system
0: uh, okay i see <laughs>
1: So, I got tested about four days after I got back, and I actually didn't get my results back for another week. So, it was, you know, day 11 by then already. So, but I did just read yesterday that they're expecting that um, a more rapid test that gives you results in like five minutes just by like spitting in a vial or whatever is supposed to be coming out relatively soon. So, fingers crossed on that because that could definitely revolutionize not only travel, but just, you know, entertainment, social events, things like that.
0: Definitely, definitely. Um but yeah, I pretty really hope that um that becomes available.
1: <laughs> yeah, so it's like okay, we don't necessarily have to have like the vaccine yet, like if we can find ways, you know, to prove our own health to ourselves and to the others that we're going to be interacting with, you know, that could be a way to just get by in the meantime with some semblance of normality
0: yeah no definitely um i i think that's probably going to be the most realistic scenario yeah. right now yeah <laughs> uh,
1: that's what we can hope for right
0: yeah, now. yeah that's yeah kind of the best we can hope for but i mean that that sounds that definitely sounds workable i think
1: yeah in terms yeah. of travel <laughs> and
0: as you say with like leisure and activities uh as well i think that definitely sounds workable but it's gonna be interesting just to see how everything unfolds still i mean yeah i know a lot of people are kind of really fed up of it but it's still unfolding and it's not going away so yeah yeah definitely uh uh okay so one last question which is a lot more light-hearted <laughs> after this very serious <laughs> covid chat um I mean, I think you kind of already answered it, though. You're saying with Ecuador. I usually like to ask at the end of the, the show, uh, where are you going next? Um, but, yeah, I think you've already answered that with, with Ecuador.
1: Yeah, um, Ecuador, fingers crossed that we actually get to do that. Um, hopefully, while in, while we're down there, we'll have the opportunity to travel to some other places besides Ecuador because I haven't been to South America before, and I'm really – I'm kind of drawn to it because – Um, because I know Spanish and I am really interested to understand kind of firsthand some more of the differences between like Spain Spanish and then Latin American Spanish and I know that even every country in Latin America has their own you know version of Spanish so I'm excited about that Um, but I would love to also visit some more of the South American countries Even, you know, if we're pretending COVID doesn't exist, you know, I would love to go to like Peru or Colombia (laughs) or anything like that. Although from what I understand, there is no, no, um, like equivalent of Ryanair down in South America, so it might not be quite the same, but yeah, so that's, that's what I have planned for now
0: nice but I mean you're not uh, I, mean, I don't know if you've seen but in Europe it's and it's all kind of staycation is the the rage here it, it, <laughs> you thought about going somewhere else in the U.S. first to test yeah. the waters a bit before you go well, international
1: <laughs> actually this weekend I'm going camping with my parents and my younger sister just like an hour away in the state park um nice. so that's a little something <laughs> but yeah if we end up well we're planning on going to a, a couple of weddings Um, this summer before Ecuador so we're going to um, western Colorado for one of those so um, yeah I mean we're planning to not just go for the wedding but stay like a week maybe rent an Airbnb and just explore there's a lot of hiking and mountains and you know parks out there so I think that's what we have planned for now but you know we'll see how things go and maybe we'll decide to do something else before then
0: nice nice well I hope uh all of those the camping and the weddings I hope they all go well without any hiccups yeah <laughs> um me too. But yeah no I hope hope everything goes well um okay uh, thank you so much for chatting to us today Kathy if you could yeah, just thank
1: you I had a good time
0: um, yeah no I think you provided some amazing value for anyone listening so um thank you so much and everyone definitely go check out Kathy's blog for even more great insights and um, value so Kathy if you could just uh, tell us what to find your blog again
1: so it's thegirlwhogoes.com and i'm also on instagram at thegirlwhogoes_ cool
0: thank you so much and yeah as i said everyone definitely go check her out uh, for some more amazing tips uh, guidance and stories <laughs> um so thank you for listening, everyone, and uh, we'll, we'll catch you next time.